Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open God's Word. I'd like to start us off this morning by telling you a little bit about someone you've never heard of. Uh, if you've heard of him, I would be surprised because um, he's probably not important to any of you, but he was very important to me at a particular season in my life. Anyone here heard the name Dr. James Grace? Didn't think so. Uh, didn't expect you to know him, but Dr. James Grace uh, was a orthopedic surgeon who practiced microsurgery in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And uh, for those of you who don't know, that's in Minnesota, where it's really cold. Um, I know there's at least a couple here who are familiar, but um, Dr. Grace practiced like I said, microsurgery. Microsurgery is important because when you have injuries to the small blood vessels and ligaments and tendons in your extremities, like fingers, toes, hands, um, there's a lot of really tiny things in there that need to be uh, fixed when there's damage. And that's what Dr. Grace specialized in. And you're like, you might be wondering, why does that matter to me? Well, you may not know it, but I'll show you. I've got a few parts of my hand that are missing. Well, that happened in the summer of 1997 as I was working at a youth camp in Chatech, Wisconsin. Now, if you haven't heard of St. Paul, Minnesota, I am sure you've not heard of Chatech, Wisconsin. Um, Chatech, Wisconsin is not the end of the earth, but it is within throwing distance, right? And so I was working at this youth camp in the middle of nowhere, right? And through a series of events, my hand became mangled, uh, and I will spare you the gory details. Um, some of the guys are probably disappointed to hear that. Some of the ladies are going, thank you. Um, guys, I can tell you later. Uh, but my hand's mangled, bleeding profusely. I am miles deep in the middle of nowhere in the woods, um, and the only person with me is a 15-year-old volunteer and our only means out of the woods is a camp truck that is stick shift. And it's my left hand and the keys are in my left pocket. So imagine the awkwardness ensuing that, trying to get out of there, right? About two miles away is the camp. Get to the camp and to the nurse on staff at the camp and her first reaction was to call her husband and say, get your truck, we are driving to the hospital. Only problem is there is no hospital anywhere near Chatech, Wisconsin. So to give you a little context, the nurse's name was Quetha, her husband's name was Bill, and they were in their 80s and they were volunteers. I was more scared of Bill's driving 90 miles an hour to this little clinic than I was what was going on with my hands. But I was forced to go to this clinic because it was the only place nearby where a helicopter could land. And they'd already made the call that the only way to get my hand tended to before the damage became more extensive and more permanent was to get me to Minneapolis, St. Paul, and to Dr. Grace. I would have killed for Dr. Grace to come to me because that ordeal took about three hours. 
which was running real close to the margin where there wasn't going to be much they could do. But through God's grace and technology and all the wonderful things that come with a helicopter ride to a hospital, got there in under two hours and into surgery by the third hour. I would have killed to have Dr. Grace come to me. But I praise God that there were those equipped and skilled enough to get me to Dr. Grace because there was nothing I could have done to get there. This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage in Mark chapter 2 that really describes the human condition really well. But it also describes the Jesus we worship really well. Because Jesus realizes that the man we are going to look at in chapter 2 of Mark would never come to him, but he was in dire need. So Jesus, the great physician, makes a house call. So if you'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. This morning we want to look at verses 13 through 17 of Mark chapter 2. It says this, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Before we dive in more into God's word, let us pray. Lord, we come before you grateful that your grace extends to those who think they are beyond your reach. Lord, we thank you that there is no one beyond the reach of your grace and mercy. Lord, as we dive into this text, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasant unto you. Lord, may the words spoken this morning lead us to love Jesus and to follow him. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Every single one of you here has had a terminal illness. Every one of us has a terminal illness. From the scriptures, we know that that illness is called sin, that we are sinners and that we will spend eternity in hell apart from God's intervention on our behalf. 
What we see in this passage is Jesus doing just that for a man named Levi. Jesus radically rescues Levi from his sin. And Levi radically follows Jesus. Our rescue from our sin is no less radical. And the call on our lives no less demanding. But how do we get there? I want us to start off this morning looking at verses 13 and 14 of Mark chapter 2. It says, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. The great physician, Jesus, just finished healing a paralytic that was brought to him, lowered through the roof of a house that was too crowded for them to enter through the front door, and looking for some elbow room, Jesus leaves the house and heads towards the sea, towards open space. But Jesus isn't just looking for breathing room. He is looking for Levi. Mark is not inserting a disconnected description of Jesus just going out to the sea. It's not just a random phrase. Jesus is going to the sea, yes, to teach the crowd that is coming to him. But he is purposefully walking to the sea. Now, you might be thinking... Okay, I get Jesus walking purposely to the sea, but wouldn't a tax booth be in town? So how does Jesus see Levi on the way out? Well, there are accounts that's, that would tell us that the main industry of this area was fishing. And if there's anything a good tax collector would do is he would tax the best industry possible. So if that's fishermen, why wait until they get to town? Why not meet them at the dock? So chances are that this booth was not sitting in town, but rather near the sea. So as Jesus is going to teach, he is also going to find Levi. And why is he finding Levi? It's because Levi would never go to find Jesus. You might be thinking, okay, why would that be? Well, if you know anything about tax collection in the, in the Jewish times, under the Roman Empire, what happened was that Jews would pay the Romans for the privilege to collect taxes, right? It was a lucrative business because they could set the tax rate so they would pay their fee and skim some off the top, make a really good living off of the back of their fellow men. Like nobody likes tax collectors. But in this case, tax collectors were more than just not liked. They were completely ostracized. Their families were considered traitors. They were considered absolute sinners who had no place in society. To put it 
maybe in a way that we might understand in our context a little better. Imagine that these are the folks raising funds for the 9-11 attacks. These are the folks who are going, we're going to fund the oppression of our own people. These were not the people that you would think anyone would reach out to. These were the outcasts, the tax collectors. Just to say that in these times would have been almost a curse. But Jesus doesn't just go to the sea to teach the crowds. He goes to find this tax collector. He finds Levi and he does the most astonishing thing. Not only does he accurately diagnose what everybody else could see, Levi's a tax collector. He's a sinner. He's an outcast. I think up to that point, we would all diagnose it well. What makes Jesus an expert in diagnosing Levi's condition is that he also knows what the cure is. Jesus comes to Levi sitting at a tax booth. Mark tells us, he says he saw him sitting at the tax booth. It doesn't say Levi the tax collector. He says Levi the son of Alphaeus. We are not being shown a person's sin. We are being shown an individual who needs to be diagnosed rightly that he might be healed. So Jesus expertly diagnoses Levi as one who needed to be visited by a physician because he was too sick to come. Jesus sees Levi and says what no one in the crowd would expect. He says, follow me. Looks him in the eye. The guy who is not part of the crowd following Jesus, probably because he doesn't think he would be accepted. And Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. Now the words follow me are not just, hey, tag along. They are an invitation to a place to belong. Jesus makes eye contact with the outcast and says, follow me. With me, you are welcome. Every one of us who has had an encounter with Jesus has been looked in the eye. And Jesus has called us to follow him. He has given us a place to belong. My non-Christian friend, if you are in this room, it is not an accident that you are here this morning. Jesus is making eye contact with you and inviting you to follow him. There is nothing any of us can do to be worthy of being with Jesus. And yet, he invites us. He's inviting you to follow him. Will you turn and follow 
Christ this morning. Brothers and sisters, if you have experienced that and you have seen that gentle Jesus who comes and says, follow me and invites you, he is calling you to more than simply tagging along. The invitation to Levi, you might know him by another name, maybe a little better, the apostle, the disciple, Matthew. Levi is not invited just to tag along. He's invited to become a trusted friend. But there is a demand placed on him that he would abandon everything else and follow Jesus. That demand is placed on us. That we would follow Jesus and Jesus alone. That is the astonishing prescription that Jesus gives to this tax collector. Identifies his sickness. You are a sinner, just like us. But his prescription is astonishing in that it is not do better. It is not try harder. It is follow me. And Levi rose and followed him. My brothers and sisters in Christ, will you follow him? We see in verses 15 through 16, our next point, and that is a remarkable recovery. Not only has Jesus diagnosed accurately, prescribed rightly, but we see what has changed. Verse 15 says, And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. What we see is not only Levi following Christ, but it says many tax collectors and sinners emboldened by Jesus' generous, kind offer of redemption. Not only Levi, but many tax collectors are now at Levi's house as he hosts Jesus, his disciples, and all the others who would follow him. Levi turned from caring more about profit to inviting people to know Jesus in his own home. The fact that these verses tell us that Jesus is reclining at the table in the Middle East, sitting at a meal is not the same as we would do it. We've all shared meals with people we don't like. Business partners, friends, co-workers. We've all shared that awkward holiday meal, right? We've all had those opportunities. This is not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is a group who, unified by Jesus' call to follow him, have been changed from strangers and enemies to friends. What Jesus has done here is not just accurately diagnosed and prescribed. 
he has completely healed and changed. At least for those who have accepted the invitation. In verse 16, we see a conversation taking place between the scribes of the Pharisees and Jesus' disciples. We'll make two notes here. First, that there is a distinction between a follower and a disciple. Not all followers are disciples, but all disciples will be followers. When the scribes try to find someone to complain about this situation too, they don't just go to a random individual. They go to Jesus' disciples, which means two things. One, they were easily identifiable. And that those identifying marks meant that they were identified not just randomly as special followers, but they were identified because they were following him rightly and accurately. They were following Jesus in a way that stood out. They were about their master's business. The Pharisees make this complaint. Why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Friends, if Jesus was not to eat with sinners, he would eat alone. There's no other kind of people in the world. If we were to classify all humanity that has ever lived into two groups, and we would put the righteous on one side and the unrighteous on the other, it would be all of humanity and Jesus. We are all sinners. We are all those who need rescue who need to be visited by the great physician. But the Pharisees couldn't see that. They thought, why would he eat with them when we're here? My friends, if we do not see the radical nature of our rescue, that we are not those who were the natural choice. That we are not those that were singled out because, oh man, those are good people. We are singled out by Christ because we're sick and we need rescue. We need redemption. The Pharisees couldn't see it. If by God's grace you see it, Take a moment. Thank the Lord for his radical rescue. If you are in Christ this morning, it is nothing you have done. It is all of his grace and his mercy. And that is why we are gathered to worship him. The Pharisees missed it. But Jesus' response could have been, harsh, but his response instead is to instruct, to explain, not to berate, but to enlighten. And he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is looking at the Pharisees going, if a doctor were to go into a town where there were no sick people, he would lose his business. He would starve to death. That's why you don't find doctors in places where there are no sick people. Best place to find a doctor is in a hospital. That is where they are because that's where the sick people are. The Pharisees are going, why? Why aren't you with the righteous? Jesus' gentle correction is, there are no righteous. That's why I came. I came for you. I came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus doesn't respond to them angrily. He responds to them gently. The implication for us is this. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to look, to sound, to act like our master. We are not here to be the shining example in and of ourselves. We are here to emulate the one that we are inviting others to follow. Jesus' response to the Pharisees is our example. We are not to go out there and blast people. I don't know about you, but my encounter with Christ was not harsh. It was a tender, gentle encounter. As an 18-year-old, my entire world had been to be the son of a missionary in Argentina. I had grown up hearing the gospel from before I was born, right? But I had hardened my heart to the gospel. And at 18, I was presented the opportunity to leave Argentina, go work at a youth camp in Colorado, and my plan was simple. Spend the summer there, disappear. My plan was never to return to Argentina or have anything to do with my family ever again. But God, God had other plans. At that youth camp, the gospel was presented no differently than I'd ever heard it. There was nothing special. But on June 16th, 1992, 
Jesus made eye contact with me and said, follow me. It wasn't harsh. I had pushed him away and he kept pursuing me. Our pursuit of those in our lives who need Christ should be no different. So what does that look like practically? It is a grace-filled invitation. Much like the invitation that Jesus presented to Levi, a simple, follow me, didn't have a lot of strings attached other than surrender of his entire life. When Jesus calls us to follow him, we are called to surrender our lives, to be disciples. A disciple looks like their master. A disciple looks like the one who has called them. So what does that look like with you? Are you following him rightly? What does that look like in your free time? What does that look like in your personal time in the word? Do you have a personal time with Jesus? If you are to look like your master, you must know him. And the place where he is known and revealed is his word. So the implication for us is, are we studying his word? If you've come to scripture and you feel accused, I would challenge you as our brother Tim has done with so many of us, to listen for the tone of Jesus' voice in the word. His tone is not harsh. His tone to those who follow him in his word is gentle and kind. So as you open the word, are you hearing the voice of your master? Are you being transformed into his image? Are you learning your master's craft? The implication for us is to become more like Christ, and we do that by spending time with him. And his invitation to us is available at any time. Some of you are going, that is great, but I need more practical help than that. So let me put it in terms that uh, apply better to living hope, to the rhythms of our church, to the opportunities that we have. What does discipleship look like? If we are spending time with Jesus and becoming more like him, as one of our, my former pastors would have said, that'll make your faith look like something. What would it look like here? Well, are you in a community group? Are you fellowshipping with those who follow him? Are you opening God's word with other believers? 
Are you intentionally seeking discipleship? Are you intentionally seeking to disciple someone? If you would look around this room this morning, you will see many faces that would eagerly and joyfully say, yes, I will take the time to open God's word with you. If you're needing someone to disciple you, my friends, I would point you to Chick and Rob. I would point you to Ryan and Tim, to Joe, to Zach, to Matt, to so many, to John. Guys, if you need someone to disciple you, they're here, they're willing. Ladies, If you need someone to open God's word with you, oh, we are blessed with many who can do that. I'd look at Bree, Sarah, Megan, Barb, Anne, Jennifer. There are so many in this room who love and follow Jesus well. If you need discipleship, go to them. Ask them point blank. I need discipleship. Will you help me? Another practical step would be to be involved in serving at the church. Our kids' ministry is growing and our needs for volunteers increases. Don't think, just sign up. Husbands, are you washing your, your wives in the water of the word? Are you opening God's word with your wives on a regular basis? No one is asking you to become a scholar overnight or to give theological treatises to your wife. Just open the word and read it. Are you praying with your wives? simple way that Jen and I have started to implement this to get better and more consistent at it is to do what we call our highs, our lows, and our buffaloes. It's simple. We get together and talk about the high of our day or our week, talk about the low. We try and throw in something random. That's our buffalo, right? Just something that was funny or weird And then we just spend some time praying together to go, Lord, we thank you for the highs. We need help in the lows. It's not hard. We just have to do it. Singles, students, young people. If you are looking for a practical application of this, it looks like service. I know that the common trend right now is to think you are busier than you will ever be. If you are a young adult and you feel the craziness of your schedule, I have bad news for you. It will not get easier later in life. As a matter of fact, you have more time now than you will ever have. Sorry to burst that bubble. But that is intentional. 
I want to burst that bubble because I also think that the scripture would call you to say, hey, this is the season in your life where service and growth are easiest. This is where you can get intentional discipleship. This is where you can volunteer. Are you in a community group? Can you clean up? Can you set up? Can you bring the meal? Can you help cook? Can you help babysit one of the many children so that those hosting can do so, can prepare those meals, prepare their hearts to serve and lead? Have you looked at the exhausted faces of these wonderful, amazing mothers that God has blessed us with who are raising their children up but would love just some fellowship during the week. Someone to hold their baby while they fold laundry or fold the laundry for them, right? What Jesus is calling you to is this kind of discipleship, to follow him in such a way that you are his hands and feet. And as we just heard before through that video of Rosaria Butterfield, one of the ways in which Jesus calls us to be disciples is evangelism. I love, like Matt and I did not plan this. I didn't even know the video was going up, right? But Literally, as I wrote the word evangelism here in my notes, my first thought was, because I'm a nerd, um, Star Trek, red alert, shields up, right? The defenses go up, evangelism, not me, not my job, not my gift. Matt so well said it, yes, it is. Yes, it is your job. Yes, it is my job. What Jesus calls us more than anything to do is to look like him so that as we talk about him, our lives reflect the truth of our words. Evangelism, parents, starts in your home. Your first folks to evangelize are your children. You singles, it's your roommate, your classmate, your coworker. For those of you who go, well, I don't fit into any of those categories. I know that there's probably someone in your mind right now that you go, I need to tell them. I need to tell them how gracious he is. I need to invite them to follow him. So whether that be opening up your home to help someone meet Jesus or you going to theirs, disciples of Christ who look like Christ, act like Christ. And our Savior made house calls because people are too sick to come to him. He calls us to open our homes to go to others' homes for the same reason. Not because we are better 
there is nothing in us. There's nothing about us other than the mercy and grace of Christ. So as we conclude this morning, I want us to think very clearly. Are you just a follower? A tagger along? Or are you a disciple? And if you are a disciple, what are you doing to invite others to know him? Let's pray. Oh, gracious Jesus, you are kind and good. You invite us to follow you, and not just to follow at a distance, but to follow closely, to look like you, to be like you. Lord, we can't do that on our own. So we ask that your word would have its effect on us. Make us like Jesus. Make us gentle, kind, and inviting. Lord, may we be disciples who are about our master's craft. May we be those to whom others are drawn. May we be those that invite others with the same warmth with which we have been invited. Lord, may we follow you.